Welcome to the Friday Workplace Briefing. Workplace law changes so quickly. Tune in weekly to find out how the law is changing and what you need to do. G'day, how are you? Good, thanks, Andrew. How are you? You recovered from the workers' comp breakfast? Oh, it was so good. It was no nice to see so many of our clients for the Christmas season. It's nice to fill a room, isn't it? Yeah. I, I really liked it. It was nice being there with Simon as well. Yeah, it's always nice to see Simon. And I think people got a lot out of it, so it was really good. And Kim, public speaking. Yeah, she did so well. She did so well, didn't she? If you want some information about the new workers' comp changes in Victoria, just reach out. We've separately done a very short video about half an hour talking about their impact and how to manage them. So mm. most of you will have been sent a link, but if you haven't got that link, give us a call and we'll send it through, okay? Yeah. Now, let's um, get on to the day because we're both a bit tired. Um, <laughs> I know we keep saying we're a bit tired, but the world is before Christmas. Can I just say, if anyone's going to behave badly, they wait till 1 December, don't they? Yeah. But I think it's everyone I'm talking to, everyone is completely slammed. Is everyone scrambling to get everything done before Christmas? So I think you can all empathise. You don't even know. We've got a job that comes in on 22 December, which settles on 31 December. What? Oh, gosh. But that's that's part of life, isn't it? Yeah. Keeps things busy. It's a reason why we have Christmas dinner. (laughs) We turn the phones off. All right. All right. Let me me just run by quickly. Closing the loop Mm. is now got a bit of clarity after the Greens have had a bit of a chip at it. Superannuation failure to pay now like wage theft. Yeah. It's a big issue because can I say there's innocent mistakes that are made around super as well as I don't have enough money to pay it and because you're paying it quarterly, you try and put it off a bit. I think they have said it's going to be for the more extreme examples. Yeah. But I think it's going to capture many more people because if there's any kind of instance of underpayment of wages, there will be underpayment of super. And then you'll have circumstances where people haven't paid it on bonuses and contractors, things like that. It's very common for people to have enough to pay wages and then put super off and not think about it. Oh. Yeah. So when we look at wage theft cases, they're always the same. Mm. Wages have been paid, 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 and then not paid, but much earlier super stopped being paid. And the ATO is very slow at picking it up, but, of course, the ATO have an unlimited jurisdiction to go back more than the six years yep. which sits with wages. So and significant penalties as well. Yeah. So look that's interesting. I get guess a bit of job security for teachers. Don't know what that looks like, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time with that. But the determination around intractable bargaining, I think you have a view on. Oh yeah. So they've decided that once the Fair Work Commission has to make a determination after the intractable bargaining dispute, it cannot be on less term than the enterprise agreement. And I understand why and they did the it. That's the Murdoch University case yeah. where they stripped out. Exactly. Like, I understand that. But what power does, like, bargaining power does the employer have now? Like, if they're locked in this dispute, industrial dispute, because the parties cannot meet, like, they're going to be forced to agree to whatever the union demands are now. And, and let's look at a really good example. So let's look at an organisation where there's been technological changes, so there's change to classifications coming through, there's a financial crisis in the organisation, there's been some redundancies, and what you're saying is, look, in real terms, we need to stop the bleeding. Yeah. There has been enterprise agreements which were dealt throughout COVID where terms were worse. Yeah. So if we had COVID now another COVID-type event, and we started negotiating an agreement. The unions resisted. Everyone knows that we need lesser. Everyone knows that that's where we're going to land. You just have to put it into, you have to make your application. At that stage, once Fair Work Commission get hold of it, the employees and unions know 
they're right. Yeah. They're, they're going to be so look. It, it just doesn't make sense. I get it. I understand the advice they're trying to get around, which yeah. is the old Murdoch University cases, but isn't it funny, you know, you don't have to do this stuff. Courts manage this type of complexity really well because they're skilled industrial people yeah. normally who are in the Fair Work Commission. I think as we start to create rules to stop discretion, we forget the benefit of discretion. Yeah, these are band-aid solutions which I don't think are going to fix what they want to fix. All right, authorised deductions. This is really to support <laughs> the unions. I'm really firing Nina up with my, my agenda today. This allows an agreement to be reached on varying deduction levels so you don't have to go back into vision yeah, education. Yeah, it wasn't originally permitted under the Fair Work Act. And has the same tests about a company for the benefit of the employer, all that sort of reasonable. stuff. That's reasonable, yep. Yeah, but it's really about union deductions, isn't it? Yeah, it means that now they don't have to get a new form each time, essentially. Because <laughs> it's the shit we deal with. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> okay, the noisy employer. Let's get on to noisy employer. Yeah, so this one is. I, I think this is interesting because there's no new law in this. The laws around uh, industrial deafness have stayed the same. It is a presumptive process and the last employer from where deafness could have occurred will be liable unless they can absolutely prove so we don't often get a set of facts that show it. No, yeah. So this is a nice case about a woman who was predominantly office-dwelling, but around about 50% of the time she went out into areas where people were were or should have been wearing ear protection. Yeah. She left Coles. Nine years later, she suffered industrial deafness. She made a claim under workers' comp for industrial deafness. Yep, and asking for them to pay for her hearing yes, aids. Yeah. yeah, not a lot. And Cole said no. And Cole said no because it wasn't a Red Pack special that day and... <laughs> As a result, as a result of that, she she ended up having an aim. What the court said is, look, in the absence of evidence, the alternative, if a person was in a risk-based environment, it doesn't matter that there's been an interruption to that. If during that interruption of time you were in an environment where there was no noise-based risk, then you will be deemed to be the past employer where noise-based risk. And the, the critical findings here were is the court found there was a noisy place, but Coles yeah. were aware it was noisy. Yeah, because they asked other employees to wear the hearing protection, so they're well aware of the risk. Yeah, and so she ended up getting hearing aids. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that it's always the last employer, last noisy employer, as Kim says, that gets the full liability. You don't get to apportion it unless you've done your due diligence, you know, you've gotten people to do the test when they can before, yeah, before and exit. then you can apportion the blame. But if you don't do that, then you're going to be liable for the whole yeah. thing. So can I just say, in noisy environments, you should be doing an annual test because it's very hard to test someone as you're chucking them out the door. You can't sort of chase them and go, can you hear me, can you hear me, can you hear me? So the idea is to have a, reg- a regimented process of testing. A little bit expensive, but the cost is substantial and it's a dumb thing to injure people anyway. And if it won, mm-hmm. at your first year of anniversary testing, you notice there's a change, it allows you to go back and reflect on the safety of the workplace. So good, interesting case and Kim's lessons there are make sure you've got a diligent approach in managing it, otherwise you will be liable. So good. Yeah. Now we're off to South Australia. Oh, yeah, so we're, we're finally. Across, flying across the border there. They're interested in doing industrial manslaughter. Yeah, and it's going to come into effect six months' time. Six months' time. That's New South Wales have already indicated they are going to go down that path, and mm. it's Tasmania who... Who just said nothing. <laughs> don't seem to be able to spell it. Yeah, so, so this one will be $18 million fine and 20 years yeah. to imprisonment. Yeah, it's all just that across all the jurisdictions, you know, Northern Territory to life in prison. Yeah, I don't understand in the model sense why it's not uniform. Like Victoria is always mm. an outlier, but why is it so different? It's called federation. <laughs> all right, that's enough of that. Now, policies apply in remote areas. This, I guess that 
Nina and I try to bring in cases which are dumb as well as yeah. cases which aren't. But to entertain you as well. <laughs> but partly to entertain you, but partly just to show the obvious that we sometimes forget. Yeah. So teacher in a remote area. Yeah, so this was during COVID lockdown and so everyone was working from home and the teacher had five days where they had to prepare online learning materials and they were in a meeting with their supervisor and towards the end decided to pick up a cask of wine and swing from it. Always a bad sign picking up a cask. What's the, what's the <laughs> name for it's, There's a name? A goon sack. A, a goon sack, that's right. I can't believe we said that on Friday. Yeah, yeah anyway. <laughs> but whatever it is, I would have thought that's enough to sack someone for being stupid, but it's clearly enough to sack someone where there was a policy saying that alcohol cannot be ingested during working hours. Yeah, but they didn't even sack it. All they did was do a 12-month like reduction of his pay, and yeah. he disputed that internally and then all the way to the Fair Work Commission because he said... It was at a workplace because he was at home and he wasn't affecting anyone, basically. Yeah. Which is obviously rejected because if you're working from home, the policy applies there too. They had a strict policy that they were not to have any alcohol during the performance of work. What can you say about that? (laughs) Give me a sec. All right. Let's go on to the next one, which is I think that for Nina and I this is a much bigger case than you may think. This, yeah. was, a, this was a business that that didn't actually get its labour hire licence. Yeah, they were rejected. They were rejected and then they went out and hired into horticulture and other yes, people. Yes, workers. And because it was a deliberate breach of the legislation, remember in nearly all states and territories now there is labour hire legislation, they received a fine of $600,000. Yeah, and it was is, their first and only offence. Yeah. So why is that important? Because it's a dumb thing to have done for a start, so why is it important? Well, the answer is there's a whole lot of people who haven't read the labour hire legislation mm-hmm. and don't realise it applies to the provision of consultants in, in certain ways in which you deliver them. So if I say to Nina, I'm going to put you in another business, I'm going to charge you a margin on, on what you would normally earn, yeah. I've got labour hire. That's not yeah. consulting, that's labour hire. It actually is a lot broader than you think. Like we've had quite a few clients who didn't realise they were actually covered by the different kinds of arrangements they're doing. And in this hybrid world, as we become more globalised and work with more businesses, it's more becoming more and more common that you could be captured under labour hire. So please, please double check the labour hire authority guidance material because if you are engaging in this and unlicensed, then you will get fined. Yeah. And look, understand who runs these things. It's ex-unionist. So I want it's you to under- full attack on the inside. <laughs> it's true in Victoria. But whether it's true or not, it was a good thing to say, these are people who are looking. Now, the idea of this legislation was to set up particularly in horticultural industries where there were fly-by-night labour hirers who were using overseas people illegally, breaching visas. That was the intention. But the legislation, because it almost arose in all were in labour-based states, was highly protected around a number of union concerns. So the definitions are much broader than are necessary mm-hmm. to protect the policy that underlies it. And so people just don't know the risk. And it is very substantial. You know, we second people out of our business. Secondment in certain circumstances would be labour hire when you're charging with a margin on top of the, the rate of pay for someone. Yeah, it's a very narrow test and there's very few exceptions. So just go back and look at it. All right, that's probably enough. Let's get on to Reese and Sydney trains. Well, this is a cocaine case. Yeah. We're bringing you the drugs cases today. And they're always involving Sydney trains. All of well, the they are. Do you know yeah. the recreational use of drugs in Sydney trains is out there? 
But there must be. He's a guy who used cocaine when he was not at work. Yeah, so he was on a period of annually for eight days or something, and four days before he came back. He that was, he, that was his cocaine. evidence, yeah. He yeah. tried cocaine four days before. That's his evidence. <laughs> Whatever it was, cocaine has a very short half-life, so... I think that's unlikely based on the evidence in the case. But whatever it was is that the level of cocaine was not in breach of the standards measure of what could affect someone. Yeah. And there was no evidence that he was intoxicated and yet he was terminated. And yet because ter- it was a breach of policy. A breach of policy. And the breach of policy looked at being under the influence and intoxicated. Yeah, and if you had over a certain level, but it didn't prove intoxication. Yeah. yeah. So there you go. Why is this case important? Is Australia in particularly its male, particularly its rural population, have very high incidence of use of illicit drugs. It's something like, you know, in rural populations between the ages of 21 and 25, it's something like 30%. It's a massive level. Wow. And recreational drugs is large and mainly cannabis, but there is methamphetamine for the more wealthy, there's cocaine. I'm raising it because it's there's much more of it than you think, and it's not just men, it's not just men between 21 and 25. But what do you do about it as an organisation, particularly where you have high-risk work, you know, like using mechanised plant, all those types of things, working at heights? Well, A, you've got to have a policy. B, you've got to have a method of implementing that policy, which is reliable and fair. And there's a lovely case. There's a New Zealand Airlines case. It's New Zealand law, not Australia. But it was the beginning of how to manage drugs. And what they said is you look at an operation, you determine its level of risk, and that tells you what are the thresholds of use, but also the entitlement to random tests. Mm-hmm. So in a high-risk environment, random testing will always be supported, particularly where you have evidence of past use. So here we go back to the governance question that Nina and I constantly raise, which is what is your state of knowledge? Yeah. Go back to the state of knowledge, find out what you know about drug usage and drug effect, set up a policy that you've consulted on mm-hmm. and agreed upon, make sure that it has standards that are recognised independently as being reasonable, don't use questions like intoxication, don't use under the influence that don't have a science-based method of testing it. Yeah, but you can't just list the Australian standards with no justification, which is what they did in this case. There was no reason why if you were over that it would have impacted or meant that he was impaired. Yeah, and so we're left in a place that the Fair Work Commission will often intervene depending on the politics of the commissioner Mm. and say, look, valid reason, but no cigar, yeah, Mm. too harsh. I want you to get back to thinking about building that educated policy which is designed at teaching people it's wrong, having proper random testing in high-risk area, making sure you've got appropriate standards and making sure you're invigilating and ensuring that people are complying on a day-to-day basis. And then you'll end up better than Sydney trains who tripped at the last minute, made a decision which was based on a fear rather than fact. Yep. And the person was reinstated. They reinstated. Yeah, they were reinstated. Not a great outcome, is it? All right. Main topic. We're doing all right. Contracts. Talk to me about it. So... Yeah, it's now all officially in place. The From the 6th of December, the new changes to fixed-term contracts have taken place. So these rules will apply for any fixed-term contracts entered into on or from the 6th of December. Yesterday, so had, yesterday for those who didn't know. <laughs> but they're getting a different day. I know, it's not yesterday. Two days ago when you read when you read yes, <laughs> When... But for any contracts that are existing prior to that that haven't yet ended, the rules don't apply. Yep. But if you have one that ends, which you said, 
like tomorrow. The 8th of December. (laughs) (laughs) You can't enter into a continuing fixed term contract because now the new rules apply. Of greater than two years. No, 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 as in because it's previously you've had a fixed-term contract, you can't then have another one for the same. Um, so even if the, the first one was only six months. Oh, if it was six months, yeah, you've got to apply all the rules. So the rules all together is the total length of the fixed-term contract must be two years, including any options to renew. You can only renew it once. You can't have, like, successive fixed-term contracts if they're for substantially the same role. Yeah. Unless you've got a significant break in between them. Yeah. Yeah. I think those but, are the But the maximum period changes. you can have with successful not is two years. Yeah, it? that's right. Yeah, two okay. years. But then recently they have introduced further amendments so that certain industries, so live performance, professional sports and universities, it won't apply for these industries until the 1st of July 2024. So they've got a bit of a non-government funded philanthropic entities. Yeah, that's right. I just thought I'd add that because I read it. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm not quite – I get get it for the live performance and the professional sports. And for the charities that depend on fixed-term grants from government. And I think this is only a hiatus. This is a moratorium until 1 July next year. Yeah. I suspect just so that they can kind of see how it's going to work. And government itself can make the relevant adjustments to how they fund and support. Yeah. And people can get behind it. Anyway, look, fascinating process. Not unexpected that Labor would pursue this. And not an unreasonable thing to say, look, if I'm going to put you on a permanent contract, am I trying to avoid the responsibilities that sit around permanent employment? So I don't think it's a bad thing. No, and I think, look... It's being sold as this massive change, but I don't think it will impact a lot of people on fixed-term contracts. For example, people over the high-income threshold, the rules don't apply. And it's greater than six months, the unfair dismissal one doesn't apply. Yeah, and if it's like a temporary secondment, that Mm. it wouldn't apply. If it's to do with a government grant, there are rules about that as well. So I think... The media is spooking it as this massive, scary thing, but I think it's actually quite reasonable. Yeah, and the other part is I think it only affects three or four industries. So it definitely affects education, one of the industry groups, definitely affects higher education and definitely affects charitable organisations because each one of them, in sport, of course, you're you're giving people contracts based on time and performance, but they only get it for a few years. So I get all of that stuff. But they're definitely over the high income threshold. But they're, well, yeah. yeah, some are. But that, remember, we only see AFL. We don't see the, the, the levels beneath it. That's and true. that's where the difficulty lies. So interesting stuff. I'm not going to do Miro the case because I reckon Tom, who did this, just stole that from the Fair Work site. And if he didn't, he's very creative and won't help us. Okay? So that was a case that Tom, who did all the research. Thank you, Tom. Yes. Well, this was just a reminder for everyone that these rules are now in effect. And so if you six had, December. Yeah. Two days ago when you hear this. Okay. So if you enter into these contracts, they will essentially be void because they'll be in breach, yeah. All right. And now for something completely different. I'm just looking at the time to make sure we're going yeah, right. Yeah, we are. We're can in, you see that? Yeah, yeah. You? I can't see that. Next to the recording. Actually, I can see where it is, but I actually can't see the time. All right. We're going to go to the case study, Nina, yeah. and you're going to try and pronounce. Oh. Here we go. Iowan. Iowan. This is so mean. No one would be able to read this. I was tired. It was nearly Christmas and year sixes were driving her mad. Iwan was the head of junior school for St. Gecko Private Women's College. 
Golden Gecko, Wall Street. Yes, but why? <laughs> Gecko is an Douglas. avaricious business, okay? So I, what did I think about? I thought of Michael Douglas. Oh, my gosh. He's the principal. Michael Douglas <laughs> is the principal. Gecko <laughs> had been established through entrepreneurial funds to create an elite achievement school in Melbourne's inner southeast. Irwin looked at her schedule. It was 5 p.m. and the parent function started in one hour. She knew two parents would be there who were in a fees dispute, both driving the latest Porsche KM, and one who constantly fought the school for extra resources for their daughter. There was pressure from the principal to push for higher results. It was endless. She had not slept for two days, didn't feel hungry, and was struggling to focus. She sipped on her four pillars gin and soda. Are we sponsored? <laughs> It was starting to work. She reread the last of seven emails over the last few days from the principal, admonishing her for poor student performance and attendance in sports. They had not performed well in either the tennis or basketball inter-school competitions despite having sporting scholarship students. She knew it was her job, but she couldn't take too much more. Her doctor said she suffers from chronic anxiety and depression. Prescribed drugs just weren't doing what she needed, what the gym did. I went had raised with the principal the stress his missives were causing. He had said these are performance issues that must be addressed. She had taken brief stress leave after that conversation with the principal where her diagnosis and cause of stress were revealed. But the principal continued his relentless pursuit of excellence with her. She finished her second gin and left the glass on her desk along with the bottle. The principal dropped into her office on the way to the function. He saw the glass and bottle smelt it. And when he reached the function, he pulled Erwin aside Irwin, and asked if she had been drinking. <laughs> She blushed and said just two glasses. He sent her home. The school policy mirrored Regulation 1.07 of the Fair Work Regulations. She had signed up on the policy and terminated a teacher for being intoxicated at work only two months ago. The next morning, the principal carried out a disciplinary meeting. He allowed a support person, complied with process, and summarily terminated her for drinking whilst at work. There we go. So the question is, does Iwan have a good unfair name. <laughs> so hard. So what do you reckon? Do you reckon she's got a good claim? Well, I don't think they've got any evidence of intoxication. So I think there's a valid reason being the breach of policy, but I think they would look at harshness because she's not shown any signs of intoxication. She's not slurring. <coughs> she's not acting inappropriately in any manner, depending on if she talked about the stresses and stuff. That's a mitigating factor as well. Yeah. So I think she would succeed. Yeah, I think she'd succeed too. I, I don't think they would reinstate her though. I think the relationship's probably yeah. destroyed. That's right. Okay, so that's good. You're tough, aren't you? I'm never going to work for you. I'm glad yeah, you are. Yeah. Uh, Ken Ivan <laughs> successfully argued the termination was adverse action, and she'd be arguing that on the basis of they knew of a stress-related condition, okay, and she'd obviously complained about a stress-related condition yeah. too and that she couldn't be at work. She'd taken stress leave. He was aware of her stress. Still hard to draw causation, isn't it? Yeah, because I think... Like, they've got a very clear reason for firing her for the termination. But could she say she was drinking because of the stress, so indirectly they were terminating her because of that? Well, I think that's the argument. And can I say to you, it's one the courts would like. That's bizarre. Yeah, well, the issue is for the decision-making, was a substantial was a substantial reason for the decision to terminate based on a protected attribute. So that's, if she was an alcoholic, that would be a protected attribute, yeah. by the way. She's not an alcoholic. Yeah. She's just a poor soul. But she does suffer from anxiety and depression, which is a protected attribute. She is drinking because she suffers from that and can't manage the continual 
pressures that are placed upon her. Yeah. So it does go to an attribute. It's, it might be a characteristic of that attribute, but it's still an attribute. I think, and we've got the question, is it discrimination as well? I think we're getting very close to an argument, given the reverse onus in adverse in general protections claims. She may get over the line because what's missing from this is whether it affected her and there's no evidence it affected her. She was actually medicating an issue she has that the medications weren't affecting. He was aware of it. He kept putting pressure on her. And when she failed, she failed because of the pressure he was putting on her yeah. in relation to that protected attribute. Yeah. That is a causation. Yeah. It's tenuous, but I think most commissioners, particularly those that come from a union background, would embrace her and go, no, she deserves the protection she gets. That would be at the conciliation stage. I think wow. most federal magistrates would again, and again, a majority of those, except for a few years, were Labor-based appointees, again, would really struggle to not find in her favour. I think it would play out in the damages, to be honest. I don't think she'd have a big claim of compensation. Yeah. And just understand the law is a funny thing. There is law and it does tell you what to do, but what happens when judges and commissioners get involved in things is they mitigate their concerns by reducing the compensation or yeah. the opportunity that comes with it. So I don't think it's a big claim. I think she'd really struggle with discrimination. So because yeah, of, because the lack of the same basis as the protected attribute, but there's no reverse onus. No, yeah. And so look, she probably has been treated badly as a result of a stress. I'm not sure that there would be any court that would go with that. But that's a, you see how impressionistic it is at this stage? Because yeah. they could well go with it. All right, let's go to the next question. Did Gecko and the principal breach safety law? If so, how and what was the result? I think if we look at psychological hazards. There were so many. Yeah, there was a lot, wasn't there? Yeah. It's interesting as we have this discussion because we're talking about workers' comp as well, but yeah. we've got hazards here of volume of work. We've got lack of support. Lack of support. Lack of fairness that sits around it, bad treatment, you know, language and behaviours yeah. which are objectively. It's probably bullying a little bit as well. Yeah, which so, so I think you've definitely got a breach of primary duty, okay? Mm. So we've got the primary duty breach, section 21 breach, and section 22, because the lack of, you know, the monitoring health, you're aware of a problem, you do nothing about it. So I want to say that that's the really bad part here. You're aware of a problem, you do nothing about yeah. it. The Birkenstein Court one. It is. So you get then, well, what's the breach of the schools? Is it only that or could it be a reckless endangerment one? I don't know if it's serious injury. The likelihood of serious injury, it's hard to know. This is the issue. I don't think it would be prosecuted. Does that no. make sense? Because there's not enough damage done no, to be regulated. Not, which to, is but, I, but I think in two or three years' time it may be because the regulator will take a greater interest. What I can say to you is a matter of fact these facts would support a prosecution of reckless endangerment because you know someone's got depression and anxiety, you know they're not coping, and yet you continue in a course and in that singular, almost, I was born in Protestant, I can say, that almost Protestant affliction of saying this is an expectation, you can't explain it away by illness, so there's a carelessness that comes with it. It is reckless endangerment factually. I don't think it would be prosecuted as that. I think the principle... Principle would be for the purpose of this an officer. So I think there's definitely a section 144 breach because in Victoria he has knowledge of the, the hazard and the risk and the impact it's having. I think in any other state, objectively, he would be deemed to have that type of knowledge and the facts would bespeak it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I think he's definitely a primary breach. 
I don't think, again, the regulator would be too interested in prosecuting, but they may, with their recent rash of prosecuting bullying, will look at a, a prosecution, Section 25 prosecution, which is somebody, and that can be any of us as an employer, as an, sorry, an employee, whether it's a principal or not, not exercising reasonable care to prevent the risk of injury to another. So I reckon that's what the principal would be charged yeah. with, not the Section 144 or the, the due diligence breach. But whatever it is, they're definite breaches. Yeah. Okay? And that flows into the next question, which is... We've got to talk about quickly. Yeah. Uh, yeah we've <laughs> so Workers' Comp has tried to exclude in Victoria and other jurisdictions are starting to follow the risk that sits around psychological claims. And they're yeah. doing that by saying, look, there must be a significant dysfunction and it must be a diagnosed disease. Well, we've got diagnosed disease. Do we have significant? Don't know. Don't have enough evidence. But I reckon when a doctor said definitely yes because mm. she went on leave. Yeah. So I think it's compensable with work the substantial cause. Yes, yes it was. Definitely. So you're in and playing with the new legislation in Victoria. Yep. And you're in and playing in every other state and territory in Australia. So, yeah, this is compensable. And you notice the way that safety law now informs the debate around what is compensable. And that's what I want to get from this story is once you say it's a psychological hazard and you say it caused an injury. Then it has to be compensable. Then it has to be compensable. And I think that's enough from us, isn't it? Yeah. Thanks and for I, joining us. next week our last one? I think so. I think next week could be our last one. All so, right. And thumbs up. Watching. Thanks for joining us. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.